Hi, I'm John. And I'm Julie. We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. You know, Julie, one of the fun things about doing this podcast is that from time to time, we get a chance to share with our listeners kind of a a special episode, and and that's why I'm looking forward to this one. you know, today on today's podcast episode, we're not going to have a guest as we usually do, uh, but really we want to take this opportunity to share with our listeners uh, the results of a recent survey that Hartford Funds completed, uh, surveying investors about their attitudes on marketing content and financial advice. And uh, Julie, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I have been asked over and over throughout my years in the industry is how much attention should we pay? to gender differences in terms of our approach to our clients, the type of advice we offer, even whether male or female clients would prefer male or female advisors. I don't, have you kind of run into the same thing in the course of your career? Absolutely, John. In fact, it's been a, a very common topic. And, and as you know, in my coaching that I've done with uh, financial professionals for many years, I've uh, had the pleasure of working on their business plans with them. And it's interesting because I've seen time and time again listed on financial professional business plans, uh, you know, for the focus area or the niche market or however one wants to phrase it, but women. And I think it always uh, leads into a very interesting conversation around how would a financial professional go about targeting women? What does that look like? And uh, if there's merit to that approach. Well, I remember uh, years ago. I wasn't long into the industry and I asked my wife, I said, you know, if, if, if I weren't a certified financial planning professional, if I weren't in this industry, would you prefer a male or a female financial advisor? You know what she answered? She said, I want the one that gives the best advice, which I think is kind of interesting, right? We laugh at that, but I think uh, for financial professionals who are out there saying, well, do I, don't I, what's the right direction to take? I mean, I've, I've heard from our partners at, at the MITH lab, we have to be very careful, right? Because uh, you just mentioned niche marketing and treating women investors as a niche market. They're like, over the majority of the population, is it legitimate to even call that a niche? Well, exactly. And the one thing that I've noticed is I've never seen men listed as the niche on the business plan. So that's what's always had me thinking. And, and your wife sounds brilliant in that, um, I, to me, it's all about, individualized, customized. Do you understand me? Do you listen to me? And are you helping me with my goals? To me, I think that's really the heart of the situation. And I'm excited to uh, hear about some of the findings of our survey today. Well, that was really the purpose of what we did. Uh, We went out and surveyed investors about their preferences for receiving financial advice and also about the marketing materials that, that that kind of conveyed that advice and the manner in which they received those. So, uh, Julie, I don't know, do you want to share any of the specifics about who we surveyed, uh, how many folks and that kind of thing? Yes. So we surveyed 904 consumers um, with a household income of 75,000 and above, as well as an investable asset level of 75,000 and above. Um, And this was conducted uh, late in 2021. 
So as we think about it, Julie, as you receive, re review these survey results, uh, what would you say is the, the headline result that kind of hit you first? What, what's the major takeaway from what our survey revealed? So John, as I, I looked at it, obviously there were a lot of really interesting data points, but what really stood out for me, I think, were, uh, were a couple of, of statistics. So first and foremost, um, more than half of investors, 52% exactly, um, agree that men and women certainly have different financial needs, but only 24%, so only a quarter of those surveyed wanted to work with a financial professional that really tailored the advice to them based on their gender. So I thought that was interesting, first and foremost. And then um, nearly half, 46%, to be precise, um, of our survey uh, uh, individuals said that men and women should receive the same educational material on financial topics. So again, very interesting to me um, that there's recognition that obviously men and women have different needs based upon their gender, but not necessarily an overwhelming desire to receive advice tailored to gender. Well, I think that's consistent with some of the things that we've heard uh, over the years from our research partners with the MITH lab, right? Who said, We've got to be very careful because anytime we group people together, right? Like all men, all women, all, you know, one characteristic or another, this is how they want it to be. I think, I, I think you would agree that it's really important that we look as, at everyone as individuals. Everyone has individual needs. However, that being said, I think gender differences, especially in light of longevity, may indicate to financial professionals what areas we should maybe emphasize. So sometimes when we're trying to discover those areas that a client may be interested in, like, heck, let's just, you know, let's just throw it out on the table. We know mortality tells us that women are oftentimes more longer lived in retirement. But there are a lot of issues that are related to that longevity that sometimes I don't think jump immediately to mind. I, I think, Julie, of helping advisors and their clients understand survivorship benefits in pension plans or understanding survivorship benefits in terms of social security or IRA rollover techniques. You're right. What are my options if I'm the survivor? Now, I'm not going to say that men and women don't equally share in, in, you know, wanting to know what the right thing to do is, right? We may all be presented with those, those different scenarios. But I think in general, we need to know as advisors that oftentimes it is a woman who will be the survivor and will need to make these decisions. And we want to make sure, for instance, that this is something that she's familiar with. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, John. And I, and I know for my personal situation, and I know I've said it before, that my great-grandmothers are 104 and 105 respectively. So my longevity is certainly amplified. And, and that's just one very small example. And you know, in our work that we've done with Dr. Joe Coughlin and the MIT Age Lab, you know, Dr. Joe, I think, said it really well. Take, for example, uh, a woman that has worked professionally for, for uh, you know, many, many years, many decades, and has had a career and maybe even has had C in her title. All of a sudden, if she turns 65 or 75, whatever the age may be, it's hard to start asking for help. And so I think just considering some of those personalized situations and circumstances and engaging in those individual conversations with a financial professional 
really start to help her engage and really plan and prioritize for the next phase of her life. Well, I think it's important to understand for financial professionals that, you know, it never hurts to go back and reinforce investing fundamentals, regardless of gender. I mean, I remember, Julie, last year, uh, I was called in to help an advisor with a a very uh, high net worth client of theirs who brother and sister were called to manage the family finances. Brother had been doing it for a while and wanted to get his sister more involved in it. Well, by the time I talked to her, I came to realize she was a finance major in college. She herself was an incredibly uh, successful businesswoman. And I started thinking to myself, well, what am I going to teach her, right? She's probably got more education in finance than I do. She's done it in the real world, starting her own business. And yet when I initially started the conversation with her, she said to me, John, I haven't looked at this kind of stuff in a really long time. This isn't what I do day to day. So here I was discounting based on her level of education, based on her her success in the marketplace. Uh, you know, I almost breezed over these things that are very basic investment fundamentals uh, that really is what she was seeking for just because it was something she didn't use every day. Well, John, I know that I just experienced something similar personally. Uh, My husband and I turned a particular age and we decided that it was time to put long-term care policies into place. It was something that we had put off for many years. We just hadn't made it a priority. And when we engaged our financial professional, Um, He said, oh, Julie, I know that you've been in the industry for two decades. We don't need to go into the particulars. And and I said, actually, I would really appreciate a a reminder and and some education. And I ended up taking six pages of notes. I, I reminded myself of concepts that I learned so long ago. I learned new things. But most importantly, I had that peace of mind that I really understood how all of the pieces were put together. And I think that, as you said, John, that assumption based upon someone's former experience, their current profession, or their path in life that they either do or don't need that education can be dangerous. And so making sure that we're having those personalized and individualized conversations, I know for me, it was very much valued and will be very valuable as I move forward. Well, Julie, I know you mentioned that our respondents said that, you know, advice largely should not be gender-based, but our respondents did indicate some areas where they thought that men and and women maybe did differ in terms of areas of uh, concentration, if you will, that they thought would be different. And among the leading areas that they thought would be differences were career considerations. Uh, About 60% of our respondents said, yeah, those should be different based on uh, male versus female. Long-term care planning and also budgeting. So as you hear these things, Julie, um, does that surprise you in any way? And What do you think the top implications are for financial professionals as they think about these differences? You know, that doesn't surprise me. I think, John, you touched on it a few moments ago about just first and foremost, women's longevity obviously impacts all three of those areas very significantly. So I think some of the facts about longevity um, and, and also about caregiving, again, if we look statistically, women are oftentimes more likely to leave the workforce for a certain period of time or permanently in order to fill that caregiver role, not always, of course, but statistically more often. And so I think those absolutely play into the need for individualized conversations, slightly different planning considerations, et cetera. I also think that it's important to remember that 
sometimes when we're, especially if we're talking about financial professionals marketing to a certain group of individuals, that oftentimes those marketing materials aren't going directly to their intended audience. I'll give you an example. I know that my dad sends me articles all the time about topics or themes that he thinks speak to my particular situation. Marketing materials that wouldn't necessarily have come straight to me, but because he sees them and sends them to me. And so I certainly think that that being specific, but also targeting groups um, in terms of the themes and the topics, it's a multi-layered approach and, and could potentially uh, come to that particular potential client or prospect through a different avenue that we hadn't even considered when we were setting out to, to engage that audience. I think that's the difficult thing is that when we make a decision to hold a, let's say a women only event, or there's an opportunity where only men are going to be present, it almost calls upon the financial professional to make a value judgment, right? In terms of, well, what would be the best content for them? So again, even without even thinking about it, we start to group people together. But I think what's important is presenting those topics that have broad appeal so that anybody in any audience could sit there and say, wow, this is more in line. Now, with that said, I know that women typically live longer. I know, as you just mentioned, Julie, uh, MIT shares with us that oftentimes it's the woman, especially if she's the eldest daughter in the household, uh, that will be the one providing that care to the family members. So if I, if I broadly present, but we have to be careful here. I remember one time I shared that today in the United States, uh, MIT tells if, if you're a woman, 47 to 57 years old, especially if you're the eldest daughter in your household, the care or management of the care of your parents will likely to fall to be your responsibility. Well, Julie, let me tell you what happened. I finished my presentation. I went back out to the booth where our sales representatives were and this uh, woman came up to the booth and she was very upset. And she looked right at me and took me to task and said, that is not the way it should be. That is not, and I had to say, look, look, it's, it's not saying that's the way it should be. I'm saying that's the way in many cases we observe it to be. I wanted to make sure that she knew I wasn't saying this is how it needs to be in every case. And in fact, I've had similar conversations with men uh, who've come up to me and said, I know what you said about women, but I've been caring for my mom for 15 years now. So it's not an exclusive situation. I think, again, in treating people with respect, we need to acknowledge that every individual situation is different. Maybe we get a chance to you know, talk about topics that we may think may be applicable, but I think at the end of the day, we need to let our clients kind of drift towards those topics of greatest interest to them. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up those examples, John, because I just, I think of myself, if you were to look at my situation on paper, I'm married, I work full time, I own a home, I have no pets. You know, you might look at that profile and say, okay, this, this woman has no need for any education or help on how to fund education for another generation. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I have a niece and nephew that I adore more than life itself. And I care more about educating them at this point than I do about planning for my own retirement. That's a much more near-term goal for me. But if you had just looked at my facts on paper, that major goal in my life could have easily been missed. And so I think when you touch on this 
um, generalization and bucketing of individuals based upon what we know and it's sort of the high level facts, we have so much potential and possibility of missing very important factors that really could help that individual achieve the goals that they're, that they're setting out to achieve. Julie, one of the other things that the survey talked about was preferences in terms of receiving information. So, you know, what channels, uh, is it, is it face-to-face, is it emails, it's social media, so on and so forth. And I think that, uh, you know, generally speaking, if a financial professional says, well, I'm guessing the answer is all of the above, you'd probably be right. But was there anything that you picked up in our survey um, that you think it's important for financial professionals to acknowledge or maybe explore or be mindful of when they're trying to get these messages out there? Absolutely. I think some of the findings probably won't surprise any of us uh, listening here today, but that younger generations um, listed social media as one of their more primary um, focuses on in terms of receiving the information. Um, so social media, websites, um, and then obviously older generations preferred more printed brochure media. Um, but I think what's most interesting about this is in terms of how do you speak to me, what was very interesting was that younger generations were more focused on lifestyle-centric materials. How can my goals help me achieve a certain lifestyle, which I thought was very interesting. And I think absolutely is important for financial professionals is they're devising their marketing plan and thinking about who their target audience is in terms of their practice growth that if they can incorporate some of those concepts, they may absolutely make more strides in terms of connecting with younger generations. Well, one thing I think I've seen over and over again, because look, I'm a contrarian by thought anyway. Every time somebody says you're supposed to believe this, I'm always looking at the other side of things. One of those narratives, Julie, is that you know younger people uh, don't really need face-to-face conversation. They don't need personal relationship. They're digital natives. They haven't been alive prior to the internet's existence. And so they'll get all their answers from a website. And sometimes I know, you know, some financial professionals may feel threatened by this, but by and large, what I've seen, and and this is reinforced a little bit by our conversations with uh, Dr. Coughlin at MIT, is that younger people have also shared in more mentoring relationships along the way parents who were picking the ideal education situation or what soccer team to play for, what job to take, mentors in the, in the workplace helping to guide them. They, they really are getting a ton of guidance and they don't believe that there's going to be any difference in their desire for financial advice. They will supplement their, those face-to-face conversations with research that they can do online. And it's important to touch them in many different ways. But sometimes, Julie, I think it's less about chronological age than it is about life complexity, right? When we're, when we're getting that first job and, you know, I I wouldn't hesitate, I I wouldn't tell my children that their lives aren't complex. I might get, you know, bopped in the nose. But uh, the fact of the matter is when we start getting into our forties and fifties, we, we start having some investable assets that get to the level that are pretty serious to us. Our parents are getting older. Uh, we've got decisions that we have to make. Um, life becomes more complex. And I think with what you just said, 
helping to understand what those lifestyle goals are, those are things that don't easily come out of an algorithm. I like to tell people all the time, my life is not an algorithm. My life is an ongoing conversation. Things change, people change, ideas and objectives change. And this is where I think we feel confidently that sound financial advice, and by financial advice, I'm thinking more holistic advice, there's always going to be a need for it, especially as life becomes more complex. I, I couldn't agree more. And I also think from a financial advisor perspective, in addition to um, you know, addressing the complexity and sort of that mosaic that we call life, I also think when we think about a marketing strategy, committing to something and consistently executing and implementing. I can't tell you how many financial professionals I've spoken to that have said it doesn't work. And I'll say, well, tell me what you've done. And they'll say, well, I did you know, LinkedIn for three days. And then I updated my website. And then I put one ad in the paper. And it's all one thing, one thing, one thing. And there hasn't been consistency. And there hasn't been a long-term approach. And I think that also is so important in terms of really making sure that, that individuals are, are seeing us. As we all know, it takes much more than one drip to capture someone's attention. In the world that we live in with the volume, the velocity, and the complexity of information, it certainly is much more than a, than a one-shot approach. So I think making sure that there's a plan and a strategy in place um, is crucial. And I think our survey results would, would echo that as well. Well, Julie, just a parting thought from my perspective, having presented to many different audiences over the years, I think the most important ingredient of any pre presentation or any conversation is really the audience that's receiving it. And I would just urge financial professionals, look, any of the topics that we make available, especially our MIT topics like 8,000 days or the quality of life and the three questions, those kind of things. When presented, oftentimes that audience will supply the stories and supply the reasons of their own. I've been in front of, uh, of women audiences. They were usually together for a different reason, but we were brought in as an educational session or something like that. And we'll start to cover some of the research that, that MIT has presented, and they will start telling stories, right? And that's how we learn. I mean, the attendees probably learned more from the stories that were being told than they learned from me presenting whatever research findings that we had. So creating, a, creating an environment where we can set the framing, but then encourage engagement and encourage people to tell stories, whether they're sitting there one-on-one -on -one with you in your office or whether they're part of a small group of people that got together for an educational event. I think the more that we can prompt people to Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us how what I was just talking about impacted you or how you dealt with a given situation. I really think that's what people find rewarding. Absolutely. The power of story is real. And I think we all can point to a period in our lives where someone else's story was exactly what we needed to hear in that exact moment and really prompted us to take action and, and ownership. So I think that's a, a excellent reminder and and hopefully each financial professional with us today is thinking about the stories that they've curated and that they're sharing with their clients and prospects uh, in order to deepen uh, those relationships and to ultimately help them prioritize their financial health.
Well, Julie, I would encourage our listeners, if they want to learn more about our survey results that we discussed on today's podcast, please go to hartfordfunds.com slash survey. Again, that's hartfordfunds.com slash survey. And also on hartfordfunds.com, you can find all of our content that we've designed to hopefully initiate some of these really interesting and in-depth empathetic conversations. So Julie, once again, thank you. Thanks for your insight on this topic and to all of our listeners. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Human Centric Investing Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon.